Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Great to have you here joining us uh, on Sunday for church. And uh, just a reminder too that what we do here online is obviously very different from what we do in person uh, at church on Sunday. We call this a non-downloadable experience, the things that we do in person, because there we pray for each other, we worship together, we interact, and we do things that we can't really relay over video. And so we don't even try. We want to maximize this space that you're in, uh, almost talk lounge room to lounge room, or in my case, office to lounge room, or wherever you are, and just really make it that more personal experience. But there are things that we can't do here. So we hope you understand that, and we'd just love to see you uh, as much as possible join us in person. We have a, an online congregation um, that is separate completely from our church, but we also have those from our church who, for whatever reason, aren't at church that day and they're tuning in as well. So we welcome all of that. It's just life in 2020. And so uh, we would love to see you in person. But we're now on the run down uh, on the long ramp into Christmas. Um, and I think we're all just wanting to get there. For many of us, 2020 is a year that we want to forget. But for many of us, it's quite the opposite. For me, I know 2020 has been one of the most invigorating and positive years I've ever had. Uh, in the church experience, it's been great. We've just had a ball with Kenmore Church and watching our great church rally during a very difficult time and, and, uh, and seeing people grow and that kind of thing. We've seen changes throughout our world and all sorts of things. And so I, I love a bit of uh, excitement. I love a bit of challenge. So 2020 has been one of my favorite years. But for others, it's been incredibly sobering, incredibly hard. So I wonder if you had one word that you could use to describe 2020. I wonder what that word would be. Uh, we're going to spend some time today uh, with our folk in church and just interact with each other and say, what's your word for 2020? Uh, tell the person next to you and so on. And so uh, it'll be good just to bring that out and conclude and maybe draw a line under 2020 in that way. But, uh, you know, the reality of 2020 based on uh, the dreams that many people had, incredibly different. Uh, I was listening to the airwaves, as most of us were, in January and February, the dreams were high. 2020 vision was a big deal going on. And, and uh, as I sat back and just watched people uh, promise big and, and long for the next evolution of our wonderful society, what happened was that society in many ways seemed to implode. Uh, within a week, incredible change, incredible disruption, incredible pressure on a lot of people. And life can be like that. And, uh, and so I guess for me, the one word about 2020, if I could sum it up without it being positive or negative really is just the word surprising. I was surprised by so many things. I was surprised how much people can adapt, how much they're able to change if that choice not to change is actually taken away. I was surprised at how different the local church landscape is uh, in Australia and beyond, especially beyond Australia, just devastating effect on local church congregations and how and why they meet together and how they do that. Uh, a significant shift. And I think the next 10 or 20 years, we're going to see the ramifications of that in how we live out Christianity in the West. And I was also so, uh, surprised and sometimes sobered by the potential of people, about what can come out of people uh, in years like this. We saw the very, very best of, of so many. And some things came out in the political scene that were obviously questionable globally. And, and so you're, you're you can't help but be surprised at the potential of humanity for good and for not so good sometimes. But as we ramp into Christmas, uh, we find that it was really the same in so many ways in Jesus' day when Jesus came. That year that Jesus came was probably the biggest moment in, in world history since the creation. Uh, the time when, when Jesus came, God himself came in flesh 
to uh, deal with the problem of sin, to engage with humanity, to embrace the imperfection and pain. Incredible moment. It's just We're still talking about that moment and that's why Christmas is so much fun for us. But if you look at the society in that time, uh, hopes were sky high. Uh, times were hard, but their hopes were there. Rome had really dominated the, God's people in Israel and dominated the whole, uh, what for them was the known world in that stage. Obviously, the world was much larger than, than the Mediterranean scene back then. Australia was populated. Uh, Asia, uh, Americas, they're all, they all screaming along quite fine. But in the documented historical world that we have, Rome, ruled it was empire time it was domination time and god's people were this small seemingly on the world stage at that stage of the game insignificant people and yet in there there was a glimmer of hope the messiah is coming he's going to change everything that was sky high uh the the vision that they had they were looking back to the time of david where israel was a significant player in the world scene and so hopes were very high the messiah was due he was going to fix everything he was going to topple rome that's the mentality that they had and so when Jesus came, everyone uh, in that sense was excited to see him, except Herod, King Herod. King Herod was a puppet king. He was a manipulator. He was a, a, a politicker. He'd um, gotten himself into the throne of, of uh, Israel at that time through playing a, uh, a game with the leaders of Rome, got uh, under their wing, and he was uh, put in there without legal right or family right to be in there. And he wasn't a popular king. He's gone down in history as being one, if not the worst uh, ruler of Israel. Uh, certainly one known for incredible acts of crime uh, against humanity and so on. So there was not a lot about this guy. It's hard to find something in history where you can say, great that Herod existed, other than the fact that he made such an incredible temple. In the end, that was pulled down as well. But let's have a look at what happened to him when news came out that Jesus came. It's Matthew 2, 1 to 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now we can understand, obviously, a guy in Herod's position, you can understand why he's disturbed. Why Israel? Why Jerusalem? Why, why were they upset all of a sudden? That was, this is good news. The, the king's come. But if you've ever analysed or been living under a despot king or an insecure ruler, an insecure leader, you know that when the leader is insecure, we all get insecure as well. It's like someone's poked the bear and when he's upset, trouble happens. And indeed, trouble did happen. Herod felt uh, fully threatened. He, he could see his empire could possibly crumble here. This was a threat to his own agenda. It's something he'd spent his whole life building. His whole legacy depended on him, on him holding onto that throne. And so Jesus coming, uh, even the idea of a Messiah coming, whether he believed it or not, became uh, purely uh, a threat. And so that threat had to be extinguished. As in that culture, that's what rulers, despots did in those days. They just wiped out any threat to their rule. And so... Uh, the anxiety in the community, once they heard that Herod was upset, they knew their lives were now at stake as well. But you've got to reflect for a moment on the ramifications of Herod's response. You've got to think, this is quite, from our perspective, it looks unthinkable. How could the king of God's people hear that God's come to town and he's reacted so comprehensively negatively? How could this be? Um, again, understand the political nature of it, understand the fact that he may or may not have even believed in God. Um, and yet 
For him, this is just something that needs to be addressed. There, there is no spiritual aspect to it. And for us, it's hard for us to understand that we could, we could grasp the fact that God himself, the creator of all things, comes and dwells with humanity and humanity sets itself against the God of the universe. This is a pretty unfair fight he's picking here. He doesn't see it that way. Um, we look back and wonder, how could religious leaders, how could any of these guys oppose Jesus? But understand they're seeing life completely differently than what 2,000 years of church history shows us. They're not convinced Jesus is the Messiah. They're not convinced it's even going to happen. They're trying to protect their position. But we can, can forget as Christians in our context the pure inconvenience of who Jesus is. We, for most of us, have lived so much of our lives with the, the, the beauty of Christmas, the wonder of Easter. Uh, but for these people, this was disruption and nothing else. This meant change. Uh, political system could have fallen, the financial system of the temple and the religious order of the day, the priesthood. This was all at threat now. Jesus was inconvenient, as he is in the eyes of so many unbelievers today. Jesus, the reality of Jesus, is incredibly inconvenient to a secular agenda. A secular and liberal agenda, for example, that, that values humanity based on uh, cosmic dust coming together and the morality of the social contract and so on. Uh, Jesus is inconvenient. He, sit, he comes along and sets absolutes. He talks about sin. He talks about caring for the poor. He's inconvenient in so many ways, even for us, because we think if I have to really lean in and consider fully the implications of Jesus coming and him leaving the spirit, this is an inconvenience for my life. Suddenly, freedom from sin becomes an issue. If he came, why am I still locked in the bondage of my own life? Um, there's inconvenience of to how and where I spend my money and how I prioritize my life. Where do I spend my time? How do I care for people? All these implications are incredibly inconvenient for us. So what does humanity do when all they see is the inconvenience and not the sovereign act of God in their life? They distance themselves. And that's what Herod did. That's what the religious leaders did. And if we're not careful, we can do it too. Uh, we can just do it reflexively. We can uh, cover over it and go, well, that's, I'm just dealing with my life right now. Jesus, can you just go and hold for a minute? Or we can minimize the implications. So what we're doing in effect, though, is keeping Jesus as a, at a distance. We long for him to be close. There's part of us that wants him close. We, we want that intimacy. We want that love. We want to know my sins are forgiven. Then I'm going to be with him now and with him in heaven forever. We want that. But, you know, if we're honest, we also want him at times to be a little bit separate. Can you just Turn around right now as I go about certain areas of my life and my ambition that I don't want you involved in because you're inconvenient to me, Jesus. And so we need to look at uh, this story at Herod, Pilate, Jesus and ourselves potentially and see am I seeing things the same way? Because the reality is God is close. God is close to them. That's what Christmas is all about. He was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus has come into town and he's not going anywhere soon. He says, it's good, to, it's good for you that I leave because another's going to come just like me. The Spirit comes. So when Emmanuel came, uh, he's been here for good since then. The Spirit living in us, the Spirit of Jesus is still there. And so this is the story of Christmas and what we stand for. And so every human, saved or not, uh, needs to respond in each moment to this reality of God with us, who's not going anywhere too soon. I need to ask, even as a pastor, a professional Christian in that sense, which horrifies me at so many levels, am I leaning into him? Am I relying on him day in and day out? Or am I preferring to turn away? And so many of us in church life turn away. Some of us who are watching online now, um, church hasn't worked out for you. Uh, things have happened. Uh, there's been personal responses. There's been responses from other people. 
And so we harbour the disappointment. We harbour uh, the, the, the dreams that we've had for our life that we expected Jesus would fulfil for us. We had our destinies all teed up. We had all the plans laid out. We did in Jesus' name, you know, and it's all turned a little bit pear-shaped. We've been like the Magi. We followed a star and we found a stable. This is the life that we lead. At some point, all of us have a star in our life that we follow, but we find ourselves ultimately living in this context of the Jesus who we found in the stable. Have a look at it, Matthew 2, 9 to 10, talking of the Magi. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So they'd followed a star for what seems to be a couple of years. Uh, um, the Magi weren't necessarily Christian folk. They weren't uh, God-believing people. These were uh, known as magicians. That's where the word comes from. Uh, they were Zodiac followers. They were all sorts of things, but they also had this spiritual wisdom and awareness of the eternal. And so when they saw the stars moving because of this God who had come, it was a mind shift for them because normally the stars would change our life, but now we're seeing a life who's changing the stars. So this was an inversion for them. They're curious. They need to know because their spirituality compelled them to worship the true king. And so they were drawn. But they were looking for something else, I'm sure. They were looking for gold and jewels. That's why they went to Herod. Uh, they were looking for thrones and they were looking for empires, all this sort of thing. And they find a stable. Uh, perhaps not a stable at that point. Jesus is probably two years old by now, so he's still living in, in, uh, in Bethlehem. But I can't imagine he's going to be the rich kid in town. Um, They've come and found what they might have called the poor boy, the boy that they knew was born in the stable, uh, the boy with parents who are away from their homeland and uh, up in Nazareth there, and, and they're doing it tough. And, but this is what they've found. And uh, we'll find that all of us at some point have that same moment where we followed the star in our life, the star that we believe Jesus has got for us, destiny, relationships, whatever it is. And we, we, we get to the point where we've just found a stable. How do we deal with that? At some point, we're all going to be there. Uh, and you can almost imagine this scene because I compare it to my own house. We, we minister in Kenmore, a quite um, well-to-do, affluent, relatively speaking, part of, of Brisbane City. But if you can take the context of what they were seeing, they were like that. They were Kenmore people. They were Brookfield people, but whatever. They were uh, um, old boys from the grammar school. They were blue-blooded, Ivy League. These guys were the winners uh, in life. Everyone, kings, uh, bowed to them. They were kingmakers in many sense. But they've come to Bethlehem. They've come to the poor side of town. It reminds me of my own sort of humble upbringings of, of um, Western Sydney where uh, it's, it's broken. There's government housing. There are humble people and, and you go into their homes and it's not full of gold and, and all those sorts of things. It's, uh, it's a life that for those who don't live in that life, they can't understand why people wouldn't uh, have huge ambition for something else or why their belief in self isn't as strong as, as someone else's. They can't understand that because they've never experienced it. And so it's a shock. It's a culture shock for them. And so the Magi would have had to deal with that. And so uh, this is what confronted them. And so we, our, our misunderstood stars bring us to what they would have encountered, a very confusing stable. And we often see our own desires reflected in these sorts of stars in our life. It's, it's like the young person who's yearning for a soulmate. They're following that star and they're just longing for the time because they haven't experienced it yet when this perfect person will be in their life and, and this loneliness will go. Uh, and yet 
so often is the case, they find this is much more like a stable than a star in reality. This is tough. This is gritty. This is, wow, this is a lot of discomfort here, as well as all the other good things that go with that. It's a, it's a driven achiever looking to make their mark in the world. They're following their star. They want to matter. They want to make a difference. This is my destiny. This is my calling. Don't get in the way of my calling. And they're, but they're doing it for Jesus. Um, but their own heart is driven by this desire that just won't be quenched. And, and then they find when doors are closed and things don't go their way, they have to confront the stable of their life. It's the woman longing for a child. It's a business person grabbing the great opportunity. It's the great unfulfilled that we need to grasp for. And we follow, we'll pay any price as these guys did to follow that star. And then we end up in the humility, humility of that position. And occasionally we find ourselves face to face with a very dusty Jesus, not a Jesus on a throne. A very dusty, gritty little boy with uh, dirt in his face, with very innocent eyes, looking straight back eye to eye, with complete peace in his heart and saying, I know what mess feels like. I know what uh, humbleness feels like. And I'm quite comfortable there. And you can almost hear him asking, how are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? And it's a very confronting but very liberating experience. Because we realize that the God of the universe, who lacked nothing, who could have had anything, could have, could have chosen a comfortable life and still fulfilled his mission. He's come to embrace the pain and the humbleness of all of us. He ended up in the stable too. He could have been anywhere else. We feel like it's choiceless. He chose to go that way. He didn't have to. And he's used to the smells. He's used to the manure of life, if I can put it so coarsely. He's used to that. And he's at peace in that. And he offers us his fellowship so that we can find peace in that situation too. He never promised it would be any different. In fact, he embraced it as it was to meet us in our hardest moments as well. And so the only valid response to finding Jesus in the stable is what the Magi did. These great men with significant wealth offered that wealth to him. They bowed down to him. They worshipped him. They worshipped him in the midst of probably not understanding what they were in the middle of. They said, I'm not going to let that which I don't understand rob me of what I do. This is the king of the world. And they bowed in complete humility to him. They didn't withhold because they expected better. They gave to this God who was real and that they could touch. And so the stables in our life force us to change the lens we have on the world. God prioritizes meeting us in our world over changing our world to meet our expectations of those stars. And so we can't just shake our fists at him and say, why haven't you given us what we want? Jesus calls to you and I from that stable right now, today, because he'd be there again and it wouldn't worry him at all. He'd be there with us. So he calls to you and I from this stable. We followed stars in 2020, but we all found ourselves in a pretty dusty place. And he calls to us from this place. How are we doing? Are we still okay together? I'm okay in the midst of that situation. I'll give you everything that you need. I am Emmanuel, God with you, and I'm not going anywhere soon. I give you everything you need to get through this life with joy and with peace. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is the story of Christmas. Let me pray for you now. Father, I pray for each one, no matter what their situation, whether they followed stars and found stables or whether life has gone very well for them this year. Regardless, Lord, I pray that it's your eyes, the dusty eyes of the young Jesus, from the poor side of town, looking at them and inviting them to experience the same peace he always felt. Lord, be with us over this season, regardless of our loss, regardless of our gain. Lord, be with us, Emmanuel.
God with us always. In Jesus' name.